Why don't you open your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 found on page 1,159. Hold it there for a minute. Um, we're, we're beginning here at Knox uh, to return to a series that we have been hitting on occasionally. We began it last spring, just after Easter. Uh, it's a series on Ephesians, and we've been leisurely walking our way through Ephesians. We've been taking breaks occasionally. Uh, now we're in the home stretch. We're going to finish this up before Lent, before the end of February. So promise you, we're going to be done with Ephesians in short order. And it's ending with some really powerful material. We're going to look at spiritual warfare. We're going to look at work, at parenting. And for the next two weeks, we're going to look at marriage. Probably the most significant, the most profound relationship next to our relationship to God. Now in a church like Knox, with many singles, uh, probably some of you who are single are thinking, okay, marriage, I can check out for the next two weeks, can't I? Hold on, okay? Let me ask you a few things. Are you considering marriage? Would you like to be married at some point in your future? Um, perhaps you have already been married and that didn't work out. Perhaps you have people in your life who are married uh, that you know. This, these messages will be helpful for you, um, even though you may not be married. And the Bible, what I love about it is it provides us perhaps the most unsentimental perspective on marriage. There's no white picket fence, get married, and it is all bliss and roses perspective. Not a bit of it. You know, the Bible has this very unsentimental perspective on marriage. And it, it, it says, it talks about how marriage is a, is a profound goodness and blessing, and yet sometimes an agonizing hardship. I always begin premarital preparation and counseling with couples by using Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 7, where he says this, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. There's some sober reality about marriage, right? There's, I love that about scripture. So we're going to turn to another piece of Paul's uh, sober, unsentimental perspectives on marriage. And it's found in Ephesians 5. Maybe it's one of the, the classic articulations of, of marriage. Let's read it together. We're going to begin with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. Let's take a moment to pray. Fathers, we engage with this passage, a passage that comes to us from uh, another time in which relationships between husbands and wives were, were quite different from us. We pray that you would help us to understand how we might take the truth of what you're speaking, the life-giving truth, and apply it today to our relationships of marriage. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My hope this morning is sort of an adventurous ambition. My hope is to redefine marriage for you. (laughs) Now, there's been a lot of redefining of marriage in our culture, but, but my hope is to present a biblical model of marriage and allow it to redefine our understanding of marriage. Because here's the situation. Here's what I can fairly confidently conclude. Because you are part of the culture we live in, your understanding of marriage has been profoundly shaped by our culture. And I think there's two dominant lenses or streams by which so many of us view marriage, and they're not altogether helpful. Um, One is through a lens of power and function. In traditional cultures, marriage... Uh, provided a measure of social status and power. Um, And it led people to conceive of marriage in terms of power-based roles. So patriarchal cultures put a premium on traditional male leadership and roles along with status and function that that marriage itself provided. Men were dominant uh, in power and privilege in those relationships. And socially, you could use marriage to sort of raise your station, your status in society. You know, that's where you get marrying up. Just read a Jane Austen novel and you'll get a sense for how the dynamics of privilege and power play out uh, in terms of marriage. And feminism has been a reaction to this. And in many wonderful ways, the feminist movement has brought about good changes to our understanding of men and women and and our relationship together. But both patriarchy and feminism, different sides of the same coin, because they view the marital relationship or they have construed the marital relationship in terms of power. And while power is involved in terms of each person exercises some agency, It is not about power. It's not about roles, about who wields the influence. That's all part, but that's not dominant. So that's one way we are shaped, influenced to understand marriage. A second way we are profoundly shaped to understand marriage is the, I guess you could call it the me marriage influence. I actually read an article yesterday um, that typifies this. It is called self-marriage. You marry yourself. Uh, that's the ultimate way this thing goes. But, but this cultural influence has so shaped our understanding of marriage so that we think of it purely in terms of personal fulfillment, purely in terms of self-terms. Marriage was once understood as an institution for the common good, a public institution for the common good. But now it's redefined as this private arrangement for personal fulfillment. 
Marriage has been privatized. It's been individualized. It's something about individual happiness. So that if you're not feeling fulfilled, if you're not feeling happiness, then check out, right? Marriage isn't fulfilling its purpose anymore. So you can leave it, dispense with it. And so here's what happens. Although people might use traditional vows, here's what they often mean when they speak those vows. It might go something like this. The groom to the wife. I take you to be my wife, to wash my clothes, to cook my meals, to meet my sexual needs and fantasies, to be my trophy wife, to produce picture-perfect, well-behaved children, to be emotionally low-maintenance, to assist me in the development of my professional career. Or the bride to the groom. I take you to be my husband, to be passionate about justice while maintaining a very comfortable financial lifestyle for me, to be intellectually stimulating and socially savvy, to know how to handle power tools and sensitively meet my emotional needs for support and encouragement, to be well-adjusted, to maintain a great body, always being low-maintenance partner who makes minimal claims. It's all about self. There's been a massive cultural shift to the self. And we're thinking in terms of marriage, in terms of autonomy, in terms of personal fulfillment. And these influences have shaped how we understand marriage. And interestingly, both of them pit husband against wife. First one in terms of who holds the power, who has control, the husband, the wife. They're in the zero-sum power struggle. The second one... Marriage is a means to my personal fulfillment. It pits husband and wife, not so much against each other, but focused inwardly on themselves, just waiting for the other to fulfill those needs. And both of them perpetuate the cancer of marriage, which is self-centeredness. And we've been influenced by these notions of marriage, far less than God's intention or his design for us. And so we're in desperate need of a redefinition of marriage to replace our current understandings. Because nothing the world has to offer, whether it's patriarchal headship or radical feminism or personal fulfillment, comes close to expressing the relational dynamic and power created in Christ Jesus. And interestingly, the biblical model of marriage, it's neither traditional nor modern. It is just different. And so when you live out and understand a Christian view of marriage, it it is going to make you different. The biblical model of marriage will set you apart no matter what cultural you live in, whether it's a modern culture or a traditional culture. Christian marriage does not side with a traditional view of structure and roles or a modern view of self-fulfillment. Instead, it offers the model of mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. In Christian marriage, a man and a woman covenant in this lifelong union together that is meant to be a lived parable of our relationship to God. This is how the Bible construes marriage. Marriage, then, is an invitation for you to do for your spouse what God has done for you. And what has God done for you? God has served us. By giving us his life in Jesus Christ. Dying for us on the cross. And so Christian marriage then is the invitation to die to yourself. And so give yourself for the sake of another. For the sake of your spouse. And that is why, among many reasons, we've had such 
great difficulty with this passage we've read. I know, I know it's been a hard passage. We'll get to some of the challenges, the distortions of it in a little bit. But Ephesians 5 has been misinterpreted often. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Again, granted, there's been gross misunderstandings of that. But it's critical for us in a first read-through to understand where it fits in Paul's line of argument here. Verse 21 which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is actually the last clause of a very long sentence that Paul's been going through that began in verse 18. Um, And it's all about living the fullness of the Holy Spirit in life. And so let me read that whole sentence. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul's describing life in the Spirit, what that looks like. Um, and you're going to speak to one another in psalms, you're going to, in hymns and spiritual songs. You're going to make melody in your heart to the Lord. You're going to give thanks to God the Father for everything. And you're going to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in this next section, Paul takes what, what does that spirit life look like in some very concrete, tangible terms. In terms of marital relationships, in terms of children relationships, in terms of economic relationships. And he's saying, if you're filled with the Spirit, if the gospel's at play in your life, here's what marriage looks like. He's he's redefining all our human relationships around Jesus, showing how a life of pervasive gratitude and unselfishness comes through being filled with the Spirit. And the underlying dynamic in that, in marriage, is captured in this word submission. Now we could get lost in a discussion about roles and functions in marriage, but that that misses Paul's intent here. He's reframing relationships in light of the gospel. He is saying marriages are meant to embody the dynamic of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave up power. He gave up his status. He sacrificed all of that for the sake of something he held more dear, which is you and me and our flourishing. That is the good news of the Christian faith, that the God of the universe who created everything from from atoms to galaxies came into this world in Jesus Christ, and he died to his own interests. He looked to the needs of others. He gave his life for our sake so that we might flourish. This is the heart of God's life. It is one of self-donation. This is how God has lived from eternity. Sacrificial self-donation. And that is the key for us to understanding marriage and to living it out. Marriage is the invitation to die to yourself. It should give us pause to enter marriage, shouldn't it? The purpose of Christian marriage is to embody the gospel in our daily life, to unlearn self-centeredness, and to live out the servanthood of God. At every turn in this passage, 
Paul is constantly referring it all back to Jesus Christ. Did you notice? Repeatedly, he's doing that. Wives, submit to your husbands. How as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. How as Christ loved the church. At the very end, he says, really, I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is all about, he's constantly referring to that relationship, reframing these relationships in terms of Christ. And so the purpose of marriage is to live it out like Jesus and like him to die to yourself for the sake of another. And the dynamic of what Paul is getting at is in that word we all choke on. Submission. That's a word pretty much all of us are allergic to, aren't we? Our culture just reacts to that. It's almost a ruined word. It almost is. It has developed connotations of coercion of something humiliating and degrading, of exploitation, exploitative or something being abusive. And it has been used in those ways. We need to acknowledge that. We need to be upfront about that. But nothing is further from the truth of what Paul is talking about here. Submission, when it is understood in the frame of a gospel and in the frame of Jesus Christ, is actually a beautiful thing. It is the entrustment of yourself to another person. It is this trust-filled yielding of your life to the good and blessing influence of another. It is what healthy relationships live out. We actually do this. We actually use this word in in, in its biblical reference here. Um, For instance, when you're sick, let's say you need surgery. You don't do self-surgery, do you? That's unthinkable, self-surgery. Now you go to someone else you trust, who has skills, who has expertise, who has practice. You, you submit yourself, you entrust yourself to a team of medical professionals. You willingly place yourself in the hands of a surgeon. And actually, we, we all submit to something. We all give our lives over to something. Husbands and wives, interestingly enough, will surrender their whole lives to causes or to career ambitions, to personal independence, to the pursuit of money long before they would think of yielding their lives to their spouse. To submit is to to yield yourself to another, to yield your will to another. And in marriage, we willingly yield ourselves to our spouses. Marriage requires that giving of oneself to another. It's one of the most risky, one of the most vulnerable relationships in which you give yourself emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, sexually, legally to another person. And that, that giving of yourself, it, it is never about dominating another person. I know this word is just filled with that, but we need to somehow excise that from it. It is about opening your life to the blessing and the good influence of another. As Christians, we yield our life to the influence of Jesus Christ because we have been awed, awestruck by the sacrifice of Jesus, of his love for us, and we've been given extended forgiveness and love and healing and cleansing. And so we gladly yield ourselves to that. Because we know Christ brings out the very best in us. We don't feel constricted, but freed. We don't feel beaten down, but lifted up. 
This is what we submit to. This is what we freely give ourselves to. And, and that's another thing. Submission is never coercive. I once heard a husband say, how do I get my wife to submit to me? <laughs> and I thought, first of all, you're misinterpreting this passage. But you, your submission is never coerced. You don't demand it. Submission is a gift of grace offered from one person to another freely, willingly. You make a gift of yourself to the other person. And the focus of, of, of submission is really on the everyday opportunities we have in Christ for husbands and wives to sacrifice their self for one another, to live out the gospel in the context of daily life. It is meant, Paul is meant to communicate a full-time relational posture here. And it is about unlearning the deep flaw in our hearts of self-centeredness. Marriage, one author said, is God's gentle convention of helping us to unlearn this self-centeredness. Submitting ourselves to one another frees us from our slavery to ourselves. It frees us to to self-forgetfulness. Submission is that. It is not thinking less of yourself. It is simply thinking of yourself less. It means taking your mind off yourself. You've got your focus in on someone else, knowing that your needs are met in Jesus Christ. And so you're able to give yourself fully to someone else. It makes love possible. So can we stop wondering as we talk about marriage? Can we stop wondering about who's the boss in this thing? And instead ask, how can I better give myself fully to my spouse? Can we stop asking What are you going to do for me? And ask instead, how might I serve you? The lost art of staying happily married happens when when mine becomes yours. When getting becomes giving. When power and strength is put in service of another. This is how we need to redefine marriage. No marriage can succeed can reach that full intent and promise that God has ordained without this, this continuous and gracious giving in or yielding of one another. It is, it is the renunciation of our wills, a giving up of ourselves for the sake of another. It is being like God to our spouse. And I, you know, honestly, I can hardly think of my marriage without this yielding of myself. I mean, first of all, my wife just has a lot of really good gifts and abilities and intuitions, and I willingly, I gladly submit myself to that. Um, those are strengths that make our life richer and more complete. And I can't imagine my life without the, the continued challenge my marriage has posed to me to get over myself. Because <laughs> you know what? Here's the truth. I am selfish at heart. I am. Maybe you don't like your pastor to be that. Sorry, you got a really self-centered, self-absorbed pastor. My ego gets wounded easily. And so at home, I want to make sure the whole family just focuses in on my needs, on my wounded ego. But the, in, the repeated invitation of Jesus is, Phil, how about you die to yourself? How about you serve your wife and your kids instead? And a lot of times, I don't like that. I'm like, no, I want my will to be done. I want them to serve me. 
But that never brings life to our household. I don't know about you. Think of how this can play out. Maybe you're wondering, how can this work? In marriage relationships, because it's so close, so intimate, we hurt each other. It's just natural because we're broken human beings. But how do we respond to that is critical. When we focus in on how we have been hurt, when we focus and zero in on how we've been misunderstood or our woundedness, we maximize self-centeredness, the cancer of marriage. So what do we do? Here's what we can do. We can decide. We can make a decision. We can say, my self-centeredness is the most important thing for me to work on. In fact, it's the only thing I can't work on. I can't work on my spouse's self-centeredness that is only within her orbit, his orbit, to maintain. I need to die to myself. I need to realize my self-centeredness is the most fu- more fundamental than my spouse's. And so out of reverence for Christ, out of my identity as a follower of Jesus, one who gave his life for me, I will submit my will to make myself most important. I will do that for the sake of another. And, and when you do that, it is remarkable the dynamic it releases in a marriage. Something happens. A softening of the hard edges begins. A warmth in your own attitudes and behaviors begins. And, and you create the space for your spouse then to admit their own flaws and selfishness. It's a remarkable thing. And what Paul is talking about here At first blush, you might think, oh, this sounds like coercive and it's constricting. But a power gets released when both husband and wife are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is the power of God that created the world. A wife says to her husband, I will love and support you fully with my life. I'm going to give myself fully to your best. I'm going to work to bring out the best in you, your full God-given potential to free you to become everything God intends you to be. And a husband says, I'm going to go full out in my love for you. I am ready to sacrifice my needs, my aspirations, my dreams, my agenda, my life for your well-being. I'm going to do everything in my power to draw out that person of dazzling beauty that God has created. And all of a sudden that changes the whole equation in a marriage. Because now a husband and wife can approach life with this huge confidence. Because now they know in their spouse they have not someone who is concerned with their own power who's not concerned with seeking their own fulfillment, they know in their spouse, they have someone who's concerned with the spouse's best interest. And so they don't need to fight for power. They don't need to worry about seeking fulfillment because they have in their corner a spouse who is seeking those very things for them. It's a remarkable lift that comes to a marriage. So stop focusing on yourself, on your happiness, Serve your spouse and you'll find happiness actually growing. Because the dynamic of the gospel that plays out in marriage is this. You must lose yourself to find yourself. It's hard. Let me say, this is extraordinarily difficult. Because in a marriage, there are two flawed, sinful, broken people working this out. And you may be wondering, how do I do this? Maybe you're thinking, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know how bad my marriage is. But remember that little ending of what Paul says here. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It literally means out of the fear of Christ. And fear is not means in terms of being scared or freaked out, but is in terms of being overwhelmed with the wonder of what Christ has done for you. We submit our lives to our spouses out of the wonder of God's overwhelming love in Christ. And there we find the power to give ourselves fully to our spouses, to yield our lives in service to them when the love of Christ grips our hearts. This also tells us that marriages point beyond themselves. Marriage is not an end to itself. We can never seek in marriage ultimate fulfillment. It is in Christ only. And it is that love of Christ that moved him to die for the sake of others that moves us to this sort of life. And when you begin to understand that primary love of Christ, you're able to live out marriage in a way that really sings, that redefines how you understand, how you live out marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us so much today to think about. Lord, this text has been often used in harmful ways. And we pray that there might be some redeeming of this word, God. I pray that because of the fullness of this passage, you would, by your Holy Spirit, take every person who's here and wing it into our hearts, those aspects, those parts that we need to hear and understand and redefine our understandings of marriage. God, help us to live in light of that, whether we're married, whether we're unmarried, whether we're struggling in our marriages. We know, Jesus, that's what we need. Not a change in our circumstances, not a wish to get out of our marriage or a wish to get into a marriage, but a deepening of our relationship with you. God, thank you for that, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.